Thank you for joining us for episode 411 of Live Happy Now. We know that getting out in nature is good for us, but this week's guest understands it better than most. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm sitting down with Maya Rose Craig, a 20-year-old birdwatcher, environmentalist, and diversity activist. Maya Rose formed the Black to Nature organization at the age of just 14 to engage other teenagers of color with nature. She has already been awarded an honorary doctorate by Bristol University for her pioneering work in this area, and her memoir, Bird Girl, Looking to the Skies in Search of a Better Future, looks at the power of nature and birds, as well as the important role they have played in dealing with her mother's mental illness. She's here today to share her compelling story about what she's learned from nature. Let's have a listen. Maya Rose, thank you so much for coming on Live Happy Now. Hi, no, thank you for having me. You have written a fantastic book that we're going to talk about today. Uh, So unique. And I think it's something our listeners are just going to love hearing about. And I think I want to start, your memoir is named Bird Girl. So can we start by talking about how you earned that nickname? Yeah, I think the funny thing, because I started calling myself Bird Girl when I was about 11, or no, possibly slightly younger. And at the time, it was because I had just set up a blog because that was in 2013. That was the thing that people did when they wanted to socialize. And I wanted to meet other kids my age that were into like bird watching and nature because it was a bit nerdy and no one in my school. <laughs> and I was sort of having a think and I came across this like very cheesy like 60s 70s superhero that was in like an old cartoon called bird girl you know like the whole thing with like the silly superpowers and the crazy outfit and I was just like that's such a cool name and I thought it sounded really cool for the name of a blog and I think like going back if you told like 10 11 year old me that at the age of 20 lots of people know me by bird girl and not my real name like I think she would have been very surprised but I (laughs) I feel like considering I was a kid I made a pretty good decision yeah you could have done a lot worse with the nicknames like when you think back to that (laughs) that age (laughs) so you're known as bird girl obviously birds became a huge part of your life and your interest in bird watching really started with your father can you talk about how that came about and how you found such a deep connection with nature yeah and I like I think this is the reason I find it really difficult to explain where bird watching came for me because I've always been very very passionate about birds and nature and the outdoors and especially when I was younger it was considered quite a weird hobby for a teenage girl to have basically and it was just really hard to explain but you're right it did all come from my dad and that he has also been obsessed with birds since he was very very young and then he met my mum and she was a city girl and she went you can be a bird watcher if you want but I want nothing to do with that I'm never going to be doing that with you but eventually over the course of a few months and I talk about this in the book he sort of slowly dragged her into it until she had her sort of eureka moment where she went like wait I love birds as well so it meant like by the time I was born I had two parents who were like crazy obsessed with birds and bird watching and an older sister who was really into bird watching and so like I don't know what they would have done if I hadn't also you know fallen into the trap but I did thankfully and I just spent my whole childhood being taken around outdoors and so for me it was never like a light bulb moment where I realized I love birds in the outdoors because I always have but more like as I got older 
the slow realization that everyone else wasn't also obsessed with birds. That was, I think, as a kid, quite weird for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, I guess if you've grown up in an environment where that's what you know and everybody is into it, then you meet people who aren't. It's like, well, what is wrong with you guys? Exactly. Yeah. It seemed very strange to me at the time. (laughs) Well, and it wasn't just the birds that you connected with. You found this really deep connection with all of nature. And how did that kind of unfold? You know, it starts with the birds, but then you took it next level. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think there was a few different things coming together. Again, it did start from the birds. And I feel really lucky looking back on childhood. A lot of my key memories are sort of my parents just letting me run free in sort of woods and fields and rock climbing at the beach and things like that. And so I always just loved being outdoors. But I think it was sort of that combined with as I got a bit older and, you know, you start going to like secondary school or high school or whatever, and you start being stressed about life. And for me, like it was nature that I always used to turn to. And I talk a lot in the book about struggling a lot in terms of my mum being very unwell she was struggling with very severe mental illness and it it was sort of nature and the outdoors that I would turn to to sort of be my version of like self-care or mindfulness I guess and I think because of that it wasn't just a place that I love being it sort of became something more than that for me I guess. What really struck me is just the fact that you recognize that because there are a lot of adults don't recognize just how valuable that time in nature is and how much it gives back to them. So do you recall there ever being a time when you just, you started consciously realizing that was what you needed? Or was it always something that was just innate that I've got to get back to nature to kind of get grounded? I think a bit of both. And I think when I was younger, like, my dad knew that very consciously and so as a family we'd spend a lot of time outdoors and so it was only as I got a bit older and I was a teenager and I started sort of going like "Mm, bird watching is really uncool that I sort of was having to make this decision about how much time I actually wanted to spend outdoors and I kind of didn't I was sort of torn in some ways I was like oh this is so weird and it's so nerdy and I don't want people to spot me out bird watching like and stuff like that but the other part of me and the part that won I guess was you know the one that felt this very deep need to spend time outdoors and I think especially the period which again I do talk about in the book like after my mum was sectioned she became very unwell for a period and my parents had already booked this bird watching holiday away to Ecuador and they sort of had this moment where they sat down and they had to go is this a wise thing to do to be going on holiday right now to be going into the middle of the jungle right now and they sort of went like yeah And it was just this amazing three-week experience where we were sort of away from everything that was sort of stressing us out for the most part. And I think, I don't know, because I was sort of taught at a very young age that going outside is what's helped. It's sort of as an adult, that's what I've turned to. You didn't wait till adulthood to do that because you were 14 when you founded Black to Nature. Can you, first of all, Tell us about that organization. Because, okay, when I was 14, I was doing nothing like that. I I was doing no good for the world. So can you explain what that organization does and tell us how that all came about and what made you want to start that? Yeah, I mean, I think Black to Nature is my charity that sort of at the time it all felt very reasonable. And then I look back and I'm like, that's crazy. Like I was 13, 14 years old. It felt very necessary to me. And it came out the fact that like, like I said, I spent a lot of time in the countryside and nature and outdoors growing up. And I'm also half Bangladeshi. So 
I'm not white my mum's not white my sister isn't either and yet I never saw anyone who looked like me or my family outdoors there was just a complete lack of diversity and engagement and just in a very basic way as a kid that made me really sad because I wanted other children to be getting those opportunities that I had and also in terms of sort of the conversation with my Asian part of the family the attitude was always very much like oh that's very much like a white hobby basically (laughs) and I always thought that was so stupid and so I sort of reached an age and When I was about 13, I also found out that in the US, you have all these summer camps over the summer for basically like every hobby under the sun, including, I found out, nature and bird camps. And we don't have that in the UK. And sort of eventually, I decided I was just going to organize one for myself for the weekend. And I would invite other kids. And it was really popular. And loads of people signed up. And then I realized that the only other people apart from me who had signed up were all like white teenage boys like middle class teenage boys and I think because it was something that I had organized like it felt much more personal and much closer to home I suppose and I sort of went I'm gonna go and find some kids from the city where I'm from and I will bring them on this camp and I will let them engage with nature and I will make them like nature uh, no but it sort of at the time I already had a bit of a profile online and I remember like people kept on going like oh there are just certain groups of people who you can't engage with the outdoors and I was like but that's stupid because I know from my own family that that's not true and very very long story short the camp was really successful these kids had a really good time they engaged with nature they had never really left the city before and they loved it and suddenly I had all these big organizations writing to me going like what was the secret like how can we learn (laughs) from you and I was like I'm 13 like I feel like if I can figure it out you can figure it out but eventually I decided what I would do instead of giving them advice was I would bring them all into one place and I would get actual experts from the Black and Asian communities to come and talk to them. And my parents were just sort of like, Maya, that's a conference. So I was like, right, okay, I'm organizing a conference. And it was so successful. It was so good. And I sent all these organizations off with like a list of things to do. And like 14 year old me was so pleased. I was like, I fixed it. Like I've solved the issue. And then obviously nothing happened. And it was about six months after that conference that I was like, right, this wasn't like a one-off thing. This is becoming a project. And I ended up setting up my charity, Black to Nature. And we still run lots and lots of events with kids sort of taking them out into nature or doing camps or tree planting days and stuff like that spending a lot of time actually talking about mental health and mental well-being and we also do a lot of campaigning in the environmental sector and the nature sector trying to make it a bit more diverse and essentially a bit less racist it's one of those things that I'm sort of looking back that's kind of crazy it's amazing that you were able to put that together even more amazing that it continues today And can you talk about some of the changes that you see in people who go to the camps Mm. and are able to participate? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, sorry, this is one of my favorite things. Obviously, there is a lot of campaigning and stuff, but I love actually working with the kids. And especially at the start when we had less of like a reputation locally, we'd have so many kids turn up. I mean, actually, on the very first camp I ran with these kids, I remember the boys turned up and they were like, I don't want to be here. My mum made me come. This is going to be so boring. This can be awful. You know, and I was just like, what have I done? Like, I've invited these kids out here and they're going to hate me by the end of this weekend. But it was like, actually, so many of them, like, I'm essentially just watching 
kids and teenagers fall in love with nature all the time there's always a different thing it's always a different aspect of it that interests people but there's just so many just like little moments that really stick with me like I think one of my favorites was we were out um looking for a nightjar which is like a nocturnal bird and the sun had just set and the stars had just come out and instead of looking at the bird this group of boys were looking up at the sky and they sort of called me over and they're like what's that is that a satellite and I looked up and I was like no that's a planet that's Mars and they literally thought I was joking they thought I was tricking them because they didn't realize that you can see the planets with your bare eyes from earth and they may just like get all the telescopes we went back to camp and they're looking at the stars and it's just little things like that where you can sort of see I don't know you can see kids sort of falling in love with the place that they live and the planet they live on and it's really beautiful and especially now because we are so connected to digital devices it's so much harder to get kids away from that it's hard to get adults away from them too Mm -hmm. so how does that camp really help them kind of reset it's always fun when we sort of we get to a location we set up the tents and the kids suddenly realize there's no phone reception (laughs) and there's no wi-fi and they realize they're in for like two to five days of like no internet I'm like that as well. And I'm sure everyone is It's like slightly too addicted to your phone. And it is difficult, but I think it just feels so good. And I, I mentioned earlier, we also spend a lot of time talking about mental health and well-being and stuff like that. And part of that is because, you know, ethnic minority communities in the UK are very disproportionately affected by mental illness. And one of the things I do is essentially talk to kids about how they can look after themselves so especially with younger kids it's literally just on the level of like if you're feeling sad or angry or upset just go to the local park and like chill out with some trees and some grass and you will feel better so it's that kind of thing but also it is like teaching especially the older kids the benefit of even if it's just a day trip going and doing something and sort of being surrounded by nature and not being on your phone and just actually how good it feels because maybe the first day for the kids is really difficult but by day four you know maybe we've driven them up to the main road so they can send a few messages so they're not going completely insane but you know they realize that it kind of it feels quite nice sometimes. I'll be right back with more of my interview with Maya Rose Craig but while we're talking about nature I wanted to share a great way that you can enjoy nature anytime and any place. When you can't actually get outside, I've found that listening to sounds of nature is the next best thing. So I was really excited to discover the Water and Nature Sounds Meditation for Women podcast by the Women's Meditation Network. I kind of feel like I found my own private Shangri-La in my headphones. You can choose your natural getaway, whether you want the sounds of birds, water on the beach, or even the sound of just a gentle crackling fire. With almost 500 episodes to choose from, You can find the hour-long nature break you're looking for, and trust me, you'll feel many of the same relaxing mental and physical benefits as if you'd just spent an hour in the great outdoors. These amazing meditations can help you find your happy place no matter where you are. Check it out for yourself. Follow the Water and Nature Sounds Meditation for Women by the Women's Meditation Network for free wherever you listen to podcasts or visit thewomensmeditationnetwork.com. And now... Let's hear more about what nature does for us from this week's guest, Maya Rose Craig. And, you know, there's so much science behind what you're saying. Have you studied the science like a biophilia or is this just something that you have learned along the way and know intuitively what it is doing for mental health? I mean, I think a lot of it, especially when I started, because it was like 
seven years ago that I started doing this campaigning and it was just for me very much a gut feeling like it just I feel like as animals because I think we forget sometimes that human beings are animals like I just knew good for us to be outside and I think since then so much more research has come out in the UK medical services have started literally prescribing going outside to people and things like that so you know much more stuff has come out but for me it's always been very intuitive and I think one of the really interesting moments actually was the original lockdown in the UK there was a really difficult moment where the decision was made to essentially lock up all of the urban green spaces so suddenly there were no parks in the cities there was nowhere for people to go and I think for a lot of people there was a realization of like even though they wouldn't consider themselves like outdoorsy people and they wouldn't consider themselves the kind of people who want to go like hiking or bird watching at the weekend suddenly there was a sort of very deep rooted desire for them to be able to be outside and so you saw loads more people going to the countryside and that has actually sort of continued post-COVID which I think has been really interesting and really exciting. Yeah I think the fact that we had it taken away really made people like many things appreciate that a lot more and appreciate being able to be out in nature and as we've talked you've already referenced mental illness and Throughout the book, you know, your mom's bipolar disorders really plays a key role in the whole story that you tell. And it struck me because, for one, it's approached so well. And I wondered how difficult it was to write about that part of the story. And could you tell your story without including that? That's such a good question, because when I was first coming up with this book I suppose and sort of sketching out all the chapters I had no intention of talking about my mum's mental illness and I had no intention of sort of delving into family and the way I ended up doing and I was sort of looking at it and I realized the story literally didn't make sense without it it's essentially the story of two parents and a kid traveling and looking at lots of birds which I do personally you know love the idea of you know there's sort of I suppose the trigger of all of that was missing And so I sort of had this moment where I realized it was going to be included. And I remember going and talking to my mum and saying, like, would you be comfortable with that? And I was feeling very apprehensive. And weirdly, she was more down for it than I was. And she was more down for sort of very explicitly laying it out as well. And so we had lots of conversations about it and about as a family. And I think it sort of went from this terrifying thing. Like there were lots of things I hadn't really thought about or revisited for years to sort of becoming a very cathartic experience and I remember first talking to my editor actually and she sort of made reference to sort of how in the last chapter in the epilogue I sort of needed a and they lived happily ever after sort of way to tie it up and I went like but no that's not how (laughs) mental illness works and I think in the end it's sort of much more like we're okay it's not perfect but we're dealing and I think that's much more true to life and much more true to how it is to live with someone who was struggling with mental illness I think also one of the really lovely things about writing it is like I said there were lots of things I hadn't thought about since I was 10 11 years old and I ended up just having a much deeper understanding of what my mum and my dad actually were struggling with and what they'd gone through and sort of having a much broader picture of it all I suppose and so I'm basically I was terrified but I'm so glad I did it and I hope as well like sort of telling all the good bits and the bad bits are helpful to people out there like I think someone said to me recently like 
out of me and my parents none of us sort of come across as perfect people at any point we all have our bad moments in the but I think again that is very true to life yeah how long did it take you to write the book basically I took a year off before uni which happened to be COVID year I was intending to be bird watching during my gap year and instead I was sat at my desk writing and I think it took me about a year total but I think because of COVID it was a much faster process because I was sort of fewer distractions for sure (laughs) yeah like I couldn't leave my house like and I was getting very bored of looking at the birds that were just in my garden and so I think like sitting down and remembering all of the stuff that I'd already seen around the world and sort of revisiting all of these birds was just yeah so good for me I loved it actually it was amazing so can you talk about how the time that you spent traveling helped you and your father better deal with your mom's mental illness like how did it make it easier being on travels than if you had stayed home and tried to manage it? I suppose there's a few different layers to it. I guess for me, the main reason it was so helpful when I was younger in particular was because by the time we started traveling together, my mum had been really unwell for a few years by that point, essentially from the end of what I describe as our big year, which is sort of this year where we're running around trying to see as many birds as possible. She became very depressed at the end of it. And essentially spent the next three, sorry, two years or so being very unwell. And so I sort of had lost a lot of my relationship with her. And so on a very basic level, sort of dragging her out of her depression and spending like a very solid period of time together was just amazing. And I sort of, we both talked about how we were essentially using this to rebuild our relationship in circumstances that were much easier than it otherwise would have been. As I got older, even though I then did have that relationship with her, these moments when we were traveling were just so important in terms of sort of maintaining and building that. And bird watching sort of very intense as well, like you are with everyone all the time. So there really was no escaping. It was great. And I think for my dad, like he's always bird watching as a tool. Just I don't know, he's the kind of person who starts climbing up the walls when he isn't able to go outside every single day. And so I think for him, it was the combination of birds and essentially running away from all our problems that was really helpful because we acknowledged that's what that's what it was. We were running away from everything. And when we had to go home again, it was really difficult every time. But I think that was him having an awareness of what worked for our family as well, because we'd spent so much time when I was younger together as a unit bird watching that sort of that was the thing that we needed to return to I suppose and I can imagine bird watching probably wouldn't do that for a lot of people because you are up at dawn every day and you it's late nights it's very difficult I'm so glad that my parents were able to recognize I guess that that's what we needed because it was very rogue I'm not sure any doctors would have been very happy about us taking her out of the country for three weeks yeah that it really is an amazing story and you tell it very well and It's so interesting to me how you have become an advocate for mental illness through this. You're an advocate for nature and the environment. Did you ever expect that you were going to be such an advocate and activist for for these different areas? No, not really. I always find it strange when sort of this kind of stuff happens. I've been doing a lot of environmental campaigning for a long time now, essentially since I set up that blog I mentioned earlier, Bird Girl, nine years ago. But yeah, like. 10 years, oh my God, 10 years ago. There was never an expectation of gaining a platform or people listening to me there. That was more just 
a very opinionated 11 year old having lots of strong feelings about lots of things going on in the world and it turned out people were interested in that and that became you know campaigning and activism and I think from when I was a little kid I was always slightly too opinionated so it sort of it made sense but I think like in some ways I suppose having entered this space around mental health and mental illness has actually been just like a very healing thing for me on a very personal level I think sort of the relationship between people who are dealing with these things and the people who are looking after them their carers is sort of it's one of those things that maybe isn't talked about enough and it's a really difficult relationship I guess I feel very honored that I'm able to speak for people and hopefully give representation again of the good and the bad because that's life and help people come to terms with things maybe going on in their own lives for me I think destigmatization is always just so important that's how people end up getting help and realizing you know it's not the end of the world they can still live their life absolutely and so what is it that you really hope to see come from publishing this book and as people read it and again you touch on so many different ways that we can benefit from nature what do you hope happens I mean the original when I was first thinking of the book I wanted to write a book about birds for people who weren't into birds it was essentially like I said earlier I've spent like my whole life being asked the question of like but why birds (laughs) (laughs) like why bird watching and I wanted someone to be able to read the book and even if they didn't you know magically become a passionate bird watcher themselves to read it and go like I know I get it I understand and and hopefully maybe to fall in love with birds and nature a bit themselves so I think that was always the main goal for me but I think contributing to sort of opening up these conversations around mental health and mental illness and the ways that that impacts people and you know families and communities and stuff like that I think just feels incredibly special to me but I think also and one of the things I spend a lot of time telling like people now is just how easy it is try and work to make things better I talk to so many people my age who feel so pessimistic and so despondent about the future and feel like they can't do anything and it's like yeah maybe things like climate change and you know biodiversity destruction of biodiversity and things like that they are really really big issues but I think realizing that doing something is better than doing nothing and it does make a difference and it does make you feel better and it builds communities of people who become stronger together and all of that sort of thing as well. I think if people could see that from my own experience, that would be really special. Yeah. Yeah. You have certainly led by example and you've shown that what one person can accomplish. It's going to be really exciting. I mean, you've done this in the first 20 years or so. (laughs) I'm really excited to see what you have in store for the next 20. And I thank you for coming on the show and for talking about your book. And we're going to tell our listeners how they can find the book, where they can buy it and how they can find out more about you and follow you. But thank you for the good that you're putting out in the world because you're on an incredible mission. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely speaking with you. That was Maya Rose Craig talking about the power of nature and her memoir, Bird Girl, looking to the skies in search of a better future. If you'd like to learn more about Maya Rose, buy her book or follow her on social media, just visit our website at livehappy.com and click on the podcast link. 
That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. 